so we are doing a lesson on, the, uh, on reclaiming the power of the Holy Spirit, and we really want to be practical in this lesson as we go along. And since there's a lot of questions about the, uh, the Holy Spirit, the, we thought we'd just teach the class by answering about four questions. I do want you to know, though, as we look at this stuff, the, the depths of the Spirit cannot be plumbed within one class. You, there's just no possible way, they, way that can be done. But what you need to realize is, is that the, the most, hopefully the most significant things that the Spirit will do, we're talking about this morning. And a lot of times when we think of the Holy Spirit, immediately we begin to jump and to think about some of the miraculous things, maybe the, 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 the ability to raise someone from the dead, which we see by the Spirit, the ability to speak in tongues, the ability to prophesy, the ability to do all those things. And I think it's really important that when we look at what the Spirit's greatest role in our life is and the greatest goal in life is really to transform us and to make a difference in our practical lives. As a matter of fact, in the first century church, the most juvenile, immoral church was the one that had the greatest emphasis on the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. That's Corinth. It's the one that the, that, that the Father says, your assemblies do more harm than good. Not only outside of the assemblies was that an emphasis, but especially inside of the, emphasis, the assembly, that was the emphasis. They wanted to do something that was so amazing, but they weren't allowing God to do anything amazing in their lives. So just know that we're going to be talking more practically about that. And as you read things, just some advice as we talk about the Holy Spirit. As you read the Holy Spirit and you read passages about the Holy Spirit, it's really important that you read them in context. Because not every passage where there is a promise made about the Holy Spirit may be a promise to you. It may be a promise to those that, are, that, that it's given to, like the 12 apostles. And when you don't understand that, what can happen is you can end up doing things and you can read, like you know, in, in, in some of the passages where the Bible says that God gave the Holy Spirit and through the giving of the Holy Spirit, it would be accompanied by signs, one of which would be able, the ability to handle snakes and to be bitten and not be harmed. Uh, that's in a passage of Scripture in one place that's questionable in some of the manuscripts, but in Luke 10, it's not a questionable part of the manuscript. It's a promise to a specific group of people. But here's the thing that we want you to see is that in every passage where there may not be a very specific promise to you, there is always a life-changing principle that's there. And so you're looking and going and, and saying, okay, even in those the passages when it talks about the snakes and the handling of those things, what's, what's the principle that's there for me? And there's a principle about God's presence being with you and being enabling you to do things that you wouldn't normally be able to do. So we're just going to jump right in, and Wes going to uh, answer the first question that we're asking this moment, and that is, who is the Holy Spirit, or what is the Holy Spirit? Yeah, what so is the first it, question, Wes? Yeah, it. Uh, who is the Holy Spirit? Um, and that's a important point, that, that whole what. Is the Holy Spirit a what or a who? He's a who. The Holy Spirit is a he. He's a him. He, he's not an it. Uh, and so that's the first answer to that question. Who is the Holy Spirit? Number one, the Spirit is a person. He's not an it. He's a he. Uh, he's referred to in personal terms by Jesus. Uh, John 15, 26, 16, 7, and 8. Uh, and I'll read uh, 16, John 16, 13, and 14 here. This is Jesus talking. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Jesus refers to him in personal terms. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. Additionally, the Holy Spirit speaks. 1 Timothy 4.1, Romans 15.30, the Holy Spirit loves. 
Romans 8.26, the Holy Spirit prays his own prayers. Romans 8.27, the Holy Spirit has his own mind. Ephesians 4.30, the Holy Spirit has his own emotions. 1 Corinthians 12.11, the Holy Spirit has his own desires and his own will. So he is his own person. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is fully God. He's omniscient, he's omnipotent, uh, and he's omnipresent. The same as God the Father, the same as God the Son, the Holy Spirit is fully God. And third, the Holy Spirit is holy. And by that we mean he's not like us, he's sinless, he's other. Just like God the Father and God the Son, they're other. In fact, the Holy Spirit is so much of an other that it's kind of funny that we're teaching a class on this because we can't fathom him. It says in Isaiah 40, 13, who can fathom the Spirit of the Lord? Who can fathom the Spirit of the Lord? It's a question where the answer is supposed to be obvious. Nobody. So we're going to give you some insight in this class today, uh, but really we can't fully grasp him. But what we can grasp is that we need him to be all that God is calling us to be. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. Second question that comes up, because in Scripture you find out that there is incredible benefits from the Spirit, from having the Spirit, but there's also a very clear uh, presentation that not everybody has the Spirit of God. And so the question ought to be then, okay, the Holy Spirit's a person, He's God, He's all of these things, okay, but, but how do I receive the Holy Spirit? And we get insight into that from the book of Acts, and you receive the Holy Spirit when you're saved, when you receive the gift of salvation. Specifically, we see in Acts chapter 2, when Peter stands before the people, he tells them they've crucified Jesus, and they say, they said, what do we need to do? And he said, repent every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, be baptized, and you will receive, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's one of the things that, that we need to recognize, I think, is, is sometimes maybe we've been baptized and we're going, I, I seem powerless. And I think it's possible sometimes to miss this fact that whenever we are being baptized in Acts 2, it is clear that they are surrendering themselves to the Lordship of Jesus. They are saying, no longer me, Jesus is going to be my Lord. No longer is Judaism going to be my Lord, Jesus is going to be my Lord. And so in that surrender of themselves, God says, I embrace you because of your faith and I wash away your sins. Well, and the relationship is restored. Why, is, why, why does it need restoration? Because we know that sin separates us from God, right? We've, in our studies, you've heard preachers say that a holy God cannot tolerate sin. Therefore, when there is sin that's unresolved, it's not taken care of, there is always a separation between you and God. So if you would imagine baptism and what goes on at baptism, there is a forgiveness of our sin. All of our past is washed away, and now a holy God comes to enter and live within us we have vacated the presence. God has forgiven the sin. And so the Holy Spirit, and it really is this sense. That's why when Wes was saying he's holy, it's an important thing to look at and go, okay, whenever I surrender my life to Christ and whenever I allow him to forgive me, then the Holy Spirit can live within me. And there's just this challenge I think we ought to ask as if at my baptism, was I really serious? The essence of baptism, I don't think, is the forgiveness of sins. It is like the Holy Spirit. It is a 
It is a gift that we receive when we repent, when we change our heart and are baptized, when we surrender to God, when we die to ourselves. There are two fulfillments that God, two gifts that God gives us. He gives us the forgiveness of sins. He gives us the Holy Spirit. If you're living a powerless life, it may be that you need to examine the conversion process and see if you were dunked in water and were really forgiven or if you died to yourself because of your faith and God was able to forgive you and come and live within your life. But through Scripture, the Bible shows us, uh, even in Ephesians chapter 1, there's some people say, well, you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe, and that's true. But look at the context in Ephesians 1, verse 13. He says, as he speaks to them, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Yes, they received this Holy Spirit, but their belief there is not simply believing that Jesus exists, but it's they believe the gospel. If you read through the book of Acts, the gospel is the message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and how you can participate in it. Baptism is a part of the gospel. So I receive the Holy Spirit whenever I, whenever I in faith turn to him and baptize, surrendering my life, and he comes into my life. And here's the thing you need to know, you receive that whether you felt like you received it or not. If you had a genuine conversion process that wasn't just to please you or to please somebody else, if you had a genuine conversion process, what you need to know is the Bible gave you a promise that you received the Holy Spirit. Now, whether you have utilized it or not, whether you have allowed it to work fully or not, doesn't change this reality. Him. You received you him, him okay? Fully. Him. You received him. You received it as a gift, and God has put it in you, and there is a guarantee that that's there. And you may be going, well, I haven't done any, you know, like I haven't done any of that stuff in Acts 2, the miraculous. The Bible says that, the, that, that John the Baptist was full of the Spirit, but he didn't perform a miracle. And again, my point in all of that is, is that to know that there were people in the first century church who had the Holy Spirit, even in the first century church, that didn't do miracles. And it did not diminish the work of the Spirit in their lives. In some ways, it might even help to focus on it on what really matters most, the transformation of your life. So this morning, if you're a saved uh, believer, then you have the Holy Spirit in your life. Yeah, and so the next question is, what does the Holy Spirit want to do in my life? What does he want to do in my life? Did you did we skip something? No, you got it. And and with the Holy Spirit wanting to do that, the first thing that, that I I think we have a list of things that we're going to do, and Wes is going to go through several of those. But one of the things that he wants to do, and this is important that, that that I think for us to know, is that he wants to comfort us. And this goes along, I think, with some of what we're talking about. Even if they're miraculous, you're going, I don't have that. He wants he wants to comfort you. And that word comfort, it is used several times. Uh, to describe the Holy Spirit. In, in John, in, in the King James Version, the Bible says that, that whenever Jesus was going to leave, in John 16, 7, he says, I, I leave and I'm going to leave you and it's for your benefit. If I don't leave, then, then, then you wouldn't have the comforter. Now that word comforter there is translated in other places, advocate, same word, it's translated a helper, uh, in the English Standard Version, here's John 16, 7 in the English Standard Version. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away. The Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now, here, here's, the, here's the thing that, that he's saying to these people. 
that I want you to know that when I'm gone, I'm going to be with you in the same way that Jesus helped them. And it's strange because in 1 John 2, 1, John writes and says, I write these things to you so you do not sin. Well, that's not very encouraging because for all of us, you're going, well, you wasted your words, right? I blew that like twice today. But if you do sin, you have an advocate, a counselor, a comforter, and here it's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Same word. The word implies that there is, that, that he says, I'm sending you the spirit. Jesus' function in your life was to come along, was to run alongside and give you aid. So one of the things that you need to know when God gave you the spirit in your life, he gave it to you to comfort you so that when you see all of the things that God is calling you to do, when you see the things that he's calling you from sin that is just that has controlled you and choked your life out it is so controlling that you don't even confess it because what's the use that he wants you to know that you can have comfort because you've got power to overcome when you see a mission that's bigger than you can imagine some role that God may be calling you to or sliding you into and you start to quake in fear you need to know that the Holy Spirit is in you And it's there to comfort you in the sense to let you know, I've got this, you've got this, we can do this. But more than just that word comfort, it has to do with the idea that he is aiding you. It's one thing if you've got this big job to do that's too big for you to do, and you're standing there and you're just frustrated because you've been told if you don't get this job done, you're in big trouble. It's one thing for somebody to come up and go, as you're watching, rub your neck and go, I think you can do it. You're like the little train. I think you can. I think you can. I think you can. Then they watch you get a hernia trying to to lift it. The comfort, the emotional comfort without the practical assistance isn't very valuable. If you look at what the Holy Spirit does, One of the things it wants to do is, yes, it wants to comfort you and go, man, you got this, but really it's not just you got this, it's we got this, I'm going to empower you to do this. That's why I think it's super important that you believe, not because you feel it, not because I tell you that you received the Holy Spirit, because the Bible says you did, and the Bible says that it is there to aid you. It's not just there to be there. It's not an appendix in the spiritual body. He. He. Amen. Um, yeah, so he's alongside us. And that, you know, he mentioned that word helper in Greek. Uh, and we'll talk more about this in a second. But in Greek, that's the word paraclete. And the word para doesn't mean in front, doesn't mean behind. It means beside or alongside. And the idea of what the Spirit is going to do for us is he's going to come alongside us and aid us. And his primary mission, guys, this, this idea of what, is, what does he want to do with his, what does he want to do in my life? His primary mission is not to give you the power to do miracles. It's not to give you special supernatural knowledge. Uh, his primary mission in your life is to make you like Jesus. That is his primary mission. And did you know that Jesus said it's actually better that we have the Holy Spirit with us today? It's actually better that we have the Spirit than having Jesus Christ himself with us. Did you guys know the Bible says that? Look at uh, John 16. 
down in verse 7, he's talking with his apostles before he goes and is going to be crucified. And he says in John 16, verse 7, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate or the spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then you see the unfolding of the story when you get into Acts 2 and the Holy Spirit comes upon the group of 120 believers and Peter gets up and preaches the first gospel sermon. And you see this revival break out in Jerusalem where 3,000 people give their life to the Lord. And no, Jesus is not with them physically in person. Jesus is with them by the power of the Spirit who he is one and the same with, not outside of their bodies. Now he's within their hearts. He's within them. And he says it's actually better for you to to have it this way. And his primary aim, his primary aim is to make us like Jesus. There's several ways he does this. Um, And I'll give you the notes if you guys want these. I'm going to rifle through these scriptures. We're not going to read them, but I'm going to give you the citation and then kind of what it teaches. In Psalm 143, verse 10, the Spirit is going to lead us. In John 14, 26, the Spirit is going to teach us. The Spirit is going to remind us of what Jesus said. In John 15, 26 and 27, the Spirit's going to testify about Jesus and help us testify about Jesus and witness to others. In John 16, 7 and 8, the Spirit is going to convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's going to help us determine right from wrong. In Acts 9, 31, the Spirit's going to encourage us and strengthen us. In Acts 13, 2, the Spirit's going to direct us. In Acts 15, 28, the Spirit's going to help us uh, help give our lives direction. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, the Spirit's going to reveal the will of God. In Romans 8, 13, the Spirit's going to help us put sin to death. In Romans 8, 26, the Spirit's going to pray on our behalf when we don't even know what to pray. In 1 John 5, 6 through 8, the Spirit is said to be truth. The Spirit of truth. The Spirit's going to lead us into truth to help us determine truth. There's this great link between the Holy Spirit of God and learning to see the world and yourself and others the way God sees them. It is a supernatural thing that God does within your hearts. You may not even know it's happening. Jesus likens the Spirit to the wind. He says, you don't see the wind, but you can see it blowing the trees. He didn't actually say that. He likens it to the wind. I think about the wind. Let me put it that way. Not in the Bible. But I don't see the wind. I see the wind blowing the trees around. I feel the wind on my skin. And, you know, I may not feel the activity of the Spirit, like emotionally or whatever, but I can look at my life 10 years ago, and I look at my life today, and I can see the effects of the Spirit in my life. I'm not the same man that I was. I I became a Christian, and suddenly my whole view of everything changed, and I started feeling guilty about stuff that I never cared about before. You know what I mean? And it's like, "Ah, is that the Holy Spirit? I think so. I think so. Looking back. I had a friend one time that I was, uh, is this working? Test, test, there we go. I had a friend one time I was studying the Bible with, and he came in, and uh, he was a heroin addict, uh, and had been clean for three years when I met him, but uh, he was, he was a huge guy in AA, and he, when I found him, he said, he goes, I've been sober, right? He goes, I've been clean for, for three or four years now, and he said, but what good is if you're sober, and the more sober you are, you realize what a worthless piece of crap, and he didn't say crap, you are, and I said, well, I can help you with that, because God wanted you more than sober. He wants you saved and sanctified. And so we began to study, and we got to our study on sin, and he, this guy was very emotional. If you've been around addicts, this guy was the, just the classic, and so we would study, and during studies, he would get mad at me, and, and he'd go, you can't tell me that, and, you, and so he was, 
He was uh, one time was telling me, you know, you told me last study I couldn't sleep with all these girls, so I just went out last week and proved you wrong. Well, later, <laughs> resisting the spirit literally, and he did that for real. Later on, we're at a, in our group we're in later on, he goes, he goes, man, I want you guys, and he isn't a Christian yet, he goes, I want you to know that man over there is ruining my life. And, I, and he said, and I said, That's I said, what God does to sinners, said, he ruins their lives. What do, what do you mean? He, what do you, and he goes, well, I, he goes, man, I used to be able to, man, he goes, I like ladies a lot. I used to be able to hop in bed with one and then go over to another and hop in bed with another. He goes, I can't even think about getting in bed with them now without feeling guilty. And I said, well, that's because it's you. It was just you and the girl now, but you got God in between you now. So, you know, it's hard. It's, that little, that little, uh, little trinity there doesn't work out very well. That's awkward, man. But, and I firmly believe what was going on. He's got all these works of the flesh, things of the flesh he's, he's set his heart on. He's looking at Jesus more and more. His heart is more focused on the Spirit. And literally, when he would, it stopped with him as far as this womanizing. And it didn't stop because, you know, all of a sudden, I'm beating him with a stick. I mean, I was straight with him. But the Spirit of God was making him feel guilty, convicting him, speaking to him. Ruined his yeah. life until it saved his life. It's, pre- it's pretty amazing. And, you know, we were talking about this leading up to this lesson. We don't talk about the Spirit a whole lot. We talk about Jesus a lot. We don't talk about the Spirit a lot. We read uh, Francis Chan's book, The Forgotten God. And one of the points that he makes in that book in the intro is, you know, the Spirit just doesn't get talked about a whole lot. And then Robert made an excellent point. He's like, you know what? The Spirit says he's, he's here to testify about Jesus so is it any surprise in our churches today, we talk a lot more about Jesus than we do the Spirit when his role is to point us to Jesus. Um, and so I thought that was really insightful. But classes like these, you know, I, I think are helpful because if you just want to be a sanitized Christian, like if you just want to kind of go through the motions and follow some rules, guys, you don't need the Spirit of God to do that. You don't. You can go through the motions. You can fake it. Everybody will think you're, you know, a really holy guy if you go through the motions because they can't see what's on the inside. But I'll tell you, you guys that know me well, you know I've got a dark heart. I carry a lot of darkness around with me. And I tell you, I can carry that darkness around inside of me, and I can fake it and make you guys think I'm a holy man. I'm good at faking it. But if I really hate my sin... If I genuinely hate the darkness that's inside of me, I need help because I can't get rid of it on my own. I am too weak and too insignificant, and the darkness is too great. And the same is true for you guys. If you hate your sin, if you genuinely hate your sin, and you genuinely on the inside want to be a man of full of light, You need this power of the Spirit because we cannot, cannot, cannot do this on our own. How does the Holy Spirit accomplish this cleansing? And by the way, this is an ongoing cleansing. This isn't a one-time thing. You know, we like to talk about how our sins are forgiven, our sins are washed away at baptism. Guys, that is the first step on getting on repentance road for the rest of your life where you're constantly repenting and pulling back layers from that onion and just, you know, growing. The Spirit helps us do that. He helps us in that process, like we touched on earlier, in a cooperative way. Remember, guys, the Spirit's not behind us. 
He's not in front of us. He comes alongside of us, and he offers us help in growing and becoming more like Jesus. But guess what you get to do if you want to? You get to say peace out and walk away. And guess what? Do you, do you guys, uh, you've read the Gospels. Whenever, whenever people were talking to Jesus and he gave them a hard teaching and they, and they said, forget it, peace out, I'm leaving, did you ever see Jesus chase them? Do you guys ever remember Jesus chasing people who rejected him? Okay. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is one and the same as Jesus. Do you think the Holy Spirit is going to act like Jesus if you say, forget it, peace out? Yeah. He's not going to chase you. He's not coercive. It is a cooperative work. If you want to become mature in Christ, you work with the Spirit. He doesn't do it all for you. Now, there are theologies out there that teach you have no role to play in your spiritual growth, in your salvation, or anything. The Spirit just comes on you. He fills you. He indwells you. He makes the choice for you to follow Jesus. You don't actually make that choice. And then the whole work of sanctification over time is the Spirit's working in you because you have nothing to do with it. You have nothing to honor God uh, with. You're totally evil. You have nothing. It's either all God or nothing. That's not true. That's not biblical. And some people say, well, You know, what about this whole idea of works? Guys, we work to be mature in Christ. That is a biblical idea. Anytime the Bible mentions works, it's talking specifically about works of the Mosaic law. And you can look it up, and I can talk with you after if you need to talk more about it. But that is what it's talking about. We work to be mature in Christ. We work with the Spirit in a cooperative way, and that is totally biblical. And let me show you a couple of scriptures. Look at Ephesians 4, 30, and 31. Ephesians 4, 30, and 31. says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How can we grieve the Spirit? By saying, forget it. I don't want your work in my life. I want to hold on to these sins, right? Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Where do those sins originate? In your heart. The Holy Spirit helps change your heart. Inside, you can still say, forget it. I'm going to hold on to this garbage. Now, that that scripture is written in the context, spoken in the context uh, of a block of, of instruction about repentance, ongoing repentance, okay? You have the choice, though, to say I'm either going to work with the Spirit or I'm going to, I'm going to walk away. And that's an inner man thing. 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Do not quench the Spirit. Okay? How can you quench the Spirit? By not listening to Him. Okay? The whole point, though, guys, is you have a choice to make. You can allow the Spirit to work with you to become more like the man God created you to be, who is like Jesus, or you can hinder the work of the Spirit. It's your choice. It's your choice. God would love for you to make a good one, but He leaves it up to us. We can either choose to work with the Spirit or not. It's our choice. The Holy Spirit is not coercive. We can follow His lead or not. So, so He leads us, and again, the thing that, that I think we need to be asking is, how do I cooperate with the Spirit? How do I do that? But just seeing that there's a couple of verses that I, that I was reading, and just th- this clarity, I hope you can see in Romans 8, 5, the Bible says, those who live according to the flesh 
have their minds set on what the flesh desires. They have their minds set on what the flesh desires. You choose to set your mind on whatever is, if you go back to Romans 6, you see that in baptism you made the choice to submit yourself and to set about the, to think about the things of God, or you can think about the things that you want. But he goes, he says, listen, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. Those who live in accordance with the spirits have their mind set on what the spirit desires. So however we're living, if we're living by the flesh, we're living by our own desires. If we're living the things of the spirit, it's because the spirit enables us, but it can't enables us unless we choose to have a spiritual mindset. And some of us, we're praying to, for God to do powerful things in our life. And then whenever we see things, that when, when the Spirit leads us and speaks to us in our hearts and through the Scriptures, we ignore it and we're going, well, what's wrong here? And God is saying, listen, I'm not going to, this isn't something you have, that, that I'm going to make you do. You have to want to do it. You see, I think there's a lot of things that, you know, that we can just... When it comes to just sort of like the, the, the spiritual talk about the Holy Spirit, I think there's a lot of things that we brag about. You know, people say, God told me this or God told me that, you know, and, and, and the, the Spirit, well, the Spirit told me this. And, and if you could see the Trinity up in heaven, the Spirit would go, I didn't tell him that. I, I, I didn't tell him that. You, you guys, did, you, you, we, you know, that's what he would say. You know, is it some miraculous? I remember when you guys, I don't know if you're old enough to remember Jimmy Swaggart or not. But Jimmy Swaggart was a, a Pentecostal evangelist, one of the most popular in the history of televangelism. But he got in trouble, and, and the week before he got in trouble, he did a Holy Ghost healing rally. While he was there, he got engaged with a prostitute. Now, I want you to know, it ended up destroying his ministry, but what I remember more than anything else is when Jay Leno was doing his stand-up routine. And he said, you know, uh, you guys hear about Jimmy Swaggart, you know, uh, he got, a, he got busted by, by the cops. Jimmy says that the Lord speaks to him. But I'm not so sure if I believe that because if the Lord speaks to him, probably surely God would have said, hey, don't pick up the whore. There's a cop following you. I'm just thinking he would have said that, right? And Jay Leno was laughing at him going, he's talking about all that God's... And really, ultimately, what Jay Leno is saying is, this guy... He knows better. God's not. Was God talking to him? Maybe in the sense he does you, but he wasn't responding to it. You and I, God can speak and we can, God told me, but the, the truth is, unless we choose, what good does it to be on speaking terms if we're not on listening terms with God? And some of our transformation process, we're praying for more of the Holy Spirit and what we ought to be praying for is less of ourselves. Because we have enough Holy Spirit to empower us to do incredible things, but the problem is we resist him like he's talking about. We, we quench him by refusing to submit. It is one that I have to set my mind on the Spirit, and when I set my mind on the Spirit, the Spirit steps in and does what I am, I'm not able to do as a person. Now, how does he do that? We said it's cooperative, uh, and it's, between, it's a cooperation between the Holy Spirit and me, but it's also a cooperation between the tools of the Holy Spirit and me. To a lot of times, it's very easy. You know, the Corinthian church was this worldly church, and they thought it was all about them. Remember the greatest? If you ever read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, if you will begin to read every struggle that goes on there in the context of selfishness, it will change how you view those passages. Almost everything that is confronted there is confronted because of selfishness, which is the opposite of spirituality. 
Those who are worldly are self-focused. They've set their minds on the things that they want. So he, and he gets, on to, he gets on to them there, and, and, and as, he, as he speaks to him, call him and saying, listen, you need to let, ah, you're, you're, you're so excited that you can speak for the Holy Spirit, or you can do this or that, but you guys are not listening. You're not cooperating with how the Spirit is working in your life. And there are three ways that I think that we need to make sure that we are really responsive to, that we are cooperative to the methods and the tools that the Holy Spirit gives us. And the first thing that we need to make sure is when we look at the Holy Spirit, how does he transform me? How do I cooperate with me? Well, he uses his written word. The Bible says that the, that the, that the word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Now, it doesn't say it is the Spirit, so there's a distinction that's there. But the sword of the Spirit, in, as we look at what the Word does, we find that in Hebrews it helps cut and reveal who we really are. That's conviction. We find that it also it can cut away sin. We can find that also when it's used properly, it can be a weapon to prevent sin from, inv- from ever getting within us. But if we don't know the Word of God, if we're not in it and we're, we're, if, we don't, if we're not able to recall it, We can be asking God and say, God, tell me what to do. And he may be going, I have told you a thousand times. Get in there and read it. And especially for those of us, and again, I may be speaking to all of the ministries, but if you're in the ministries of Revolution Campus Ministry, I want you to know one of the greatest struggles that we have and the greatest struggles that we have, not in campus ministry alone or high school, but in adult, and this is true probably with every ministry, we have a... A, a shallow, inconsistent understanding and desire to be in the Word of God. And here we are, we're going, God, I want to be empowered. I want your Holy Spirit to empower me. And the most certain and sure work of the Holy Spirit in giving us His Word, we toss it aside and we don't use it. And then we want somehow want God to do in another means what He has it, what He's already provided through the Word. So it is so important if you want to be led by the Spirit that you get in the Word of God. He is the Spirit of truth, Wes led earlier. And if I've got in the Spirit of truth, what I find out is it's a safeguard for me because you see, there are spirits out there that will speak that have nothing to do with the Holy One, the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible says we need to test everything. How do I test it? I tested by looking at the sword of the Spirit, the written, confirmed, eternal truth that I know is absolutely unchanging and unwavering. I think that to call out to the Holy Spirit and to want His power in our life and to not get into the Word of God just results in a spiritual dead. I used to, we, we used, in where I grew up, you couldn't have firecrackers couldn't have M80s, barrel bombs, we used to call them. And so you, we would pay big bucks to, to, you know, it was like our contraband. You know, like we were kids, 13 years old, 12 years old. I'd go steal a bunch of stuff and, and, and sell it, and then I'd have money to buy these things. And so, I mean, and I, the older kids ripped me off, okay? But sometimes we'd buy one of those, like especially some of the bigger ones that were really dangerous, blow your hand off, and you'd light them, and they were duds. All the appearance of power but nothing there. 
I think there's a lot of spiritual duds among us today to where we're wanting, we're, I want, we look right, but there's no substance within us. The Word of God is not within us. It is not able to empower us. So we may sparkle for a while, but the sparkle becomes a fizzle, and then there's not much pop in our lives or our ministries. He works in cooperation with the Word of God. He works in Christ, so he uses the Word of God. I can't ignore the written Word and claim rightfully anyway to be following the Spirit of God. Whatever it might be, if it is opposed to the Word of God, it is not of the Spirit of God. Secondly, he uses the words of the godly, the Spirit does. Remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch? Philip is having this great revival in Samaria. There's a man going down on the desert road, and the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord snatched him away. The Spirit of the Lord led him to the desert. So whenever the eunuch, when the Ethiopian was speaking with Philip, he was speaking with someone who was a tool of the Spirit of God, living in him and living through him. And another thing, sometimes we're wanting, we're wanting the Holy Spirit somehow to convict us and break our hearts, make me, make me not want to do that anymore. So he sends a person into our lives, a Holy Spirit person that shares with us the Word of God. And rather than having this desire, this conviction, we just get angry at the person. I can't believe he said that to me. Why did he say that to me? He could have said it a different way. We've been praying for conviction, but then when God sends an agent of the Spirit into our lives, we get angry at the agent. We get angry at the Spirit, whether we realize it or not. You guys have been given people within the body of Christ. The Bible says that God, through His Spirit, gave you those people so that you could be equipped and so that you could be built up. Some of the very things the Bible says the Spirit does, it says that that's what people in your lives were given for. So again, I can't refuse to involve the people of God in my life and claim to rightfully, at least claim correctly, that I'm following the Spirit of God. And then the third way that I think that he works, and this is the one that is more nebulous, it's, it, it's, it's harder to both explain and define, but I believe that the Holy Spirit, he uses his words, he uses his promptings to speak to our, to our inner self, to our inner man, to our hearts, to our consciences. Have you ever just been somewhere and you, know, you start to do something and immediately you feel like this, I really shouldn't do that. And there wasn't anything physically there that made you say that, but there was just this, all of a sudden, this sense is, I need to get out of here. This is wrong. This is not right. Or you've been someplace, and you've, you, you've felt like, man, something is needed here, and I need, you know, and, and, and you couldn't necessarily define what it was, a feeling, this, this voice that, that maybe, and, and I don't necessarily mean an audible voice, but this speaking into your heart and your mind, and you did something, you're going, where did that come from? Now, again, it's really important for us to make sure, because it's easy to say, God told me to justify whatever we want to do. It's easy to say, God told me in order to make us look really like we're something that God is speaking to me. It's easy to say, God told me to, to just use that as when we don't know what else to say, so we justify ourselves. 
But I believe that if we're in the Word of God and, and we're with the people of God and the Spirit of God is in us, then He's going to use those things in a supernatural way. When people aren't around or the page, the printed page isn't around, He's going to use that to speak to our consciences, to our hearts, to our, to our, to our inner being to where we're going to do things that are more godly. But here's the thing, with all of those, he is not going to, as Wes said, coerce us. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, and again, this is the most, the, the church that had more manifestations of the Holy Spirit miraculously than any others was possibly the worst church in the New Testament. I did a series of lessons on uh, about five years ago called Lessons from a Whacked Out Church. And it was about Corinth. And as he corrects them about what they're doing and their self-promotion and their selfishness and their ungodliness, it's almost when he tells them, well, you're going to do it like this. Don't everybody stand up and speak in tongues. Don't everybody speak and prophesy at the same time. And it's almost like somebody said, and I've had guys tell me this that I've studied the Bible with, well, when the Spirit hits you, you just can't stop it. Not true. In 1 Corinthians, he puts this in there, and it almost seems out of place when he says all of this, when he's trying to get them to be in order, everything would be done decently in order. That was a real famous verse where I grew up, in the church I grew up in. That was what all 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14 was designed to teach us. Everything was to be done decently in order. That's not what it teaches, by the way. What it teaches is everything has to be done for the edification. Doing things in order were simply designed to bring about the means so that you would be built up, which means in Scripture to be more like Jesus. But so he's giving all these instructions, then it's almost as he's, almost as he's thinking about loud, loud mouth Holy Spirit guy, you know that one that you're talking about, who's always talking about the Spirit, always saying, oh God, and his life is in shambles, and he says, oh, oh yeah, There's, and by the way, the Spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. What he's saying is, this is such a cooperative thing, not only can we, can we, not, not only can we quench it, but if God has literally told me something, I can say, this isn't the right time. I need, I need to hold this off. There, there has to be this participation in the desires of the Spirit. And if we don't get that, if we don't believe that we have the Spirit, and trust, again, not because of everything like Wes can see that we can see all the, but because I know the Spirit has worked in my life over the last 30 years because I know how far He's brought me and I know that there are things I would never be able to do and never be able to feel if it wasn't for His leading. So the challenge that I have for you is to believe the Spirit lives within you, to love the Spirit that God has placed in you, and then act like you love it by doing the things that West is going to close us out with. What I was going to say, just kind of a thought came to my mind, talking about this idea of cooperation, and I can't help it when the Spirit comes on me and just takes over. I don't read that anywhere in Scripture, but I do read about demonic possession. And they couldn't help it when a demon would take them over. And so it was just a thought I had. I've never read that about God, though. It seems to always be cooperative. God gives you a choice. He didn't make you a robot. You know, you can choose to love him or not. And so the last question, um, what do I do to cooperate with the Holy Spirit? Um, it goes back to choice. I crucify me rather than quenching him. I surrender me rather than doing my own thing. I let God be God instead of determining I'm going to be my own God. In short, guys, what did Lynn say last night? What did he keep repeating? What was the phrase? What was the phrase that he wrote in permanent marker on our whiteboard when I was in the campus ministry back with them? 
die to self. You want to know what you can do to cooperate with the Holy Spirit practically on a day-to-day level? You get up in the morning, you put your shoes on, and you let every decision that you make be led by God. Some of y'all are like, man, that's crazy. It sure is. That's why the Bible says you're going to be aliens and strangers in this world. You're supposed to look crazy. You're not supposed to look like everybody else. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives where? In me. In me. Not behind me, not in front of me, beside me, in me. Helping me go through my day-to-day life. And just on a practical level, guys, open up to Galatians 5. This is going to be very familiar to some of you guys. But open up to Galatians 5. Paul gives us, he, Paul likes lists. He, he really likes lists. And he gives us a list of things to look for in our life where we can determine whether we're being led by our sinful nature, our flesh, our will to be God ourselves, or whether we're being led by the Spirit, where we're letting God lead us. Look at this, Galatians 5, 19, starting in verse 19, the acts of the flesh or the sinful nature or your own dumb self are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He, likes, he puts that and the like on there just in case you're looking for loopholes. He closes the loophole. Um, I know some of us read the Bible looking for loopholes. Uh, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. If your life is characterized by these things, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And guys, not all of these are outward actions. Some of these are matters of the heart. You can fake it. You can go to church every Sunday. You can pray prayers. You can still not be a disciple in your inner man because you're not submitted to the Spirit. Right? But he goes on and he gives us another list. But the fruit of the Spirit, by the way, fruit, does it say fruits of the Spirit? It says fruit, singular. If you have the Spirit, you should look for all of these things in your life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Against such things, there is no law. Who's going to come up to you and say, man, you're too patient. You're too kind. You're way too gentle. You got way too much love in your heart, bro. You need to take care of that. Who's going to say that? No. Ain't going to happen. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? What's the word? They crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by who? Since we live by the Spirit, let us what? Keep in step with the Spirit. How can you tell if you're being led by the Spirit? You cannot simultaneously be led by the Holy Spirit of God and sin. You can't. It is absolutely impossible. If you are sinning 
It's because in that moment or in that situation or in your heart with that attitude or that thought, you are saying no to the Spirit of God and yes to me. But guys, you're supposed to be dead. You're dead. And when you make that commitment, that surrender, you die to yourself, guys, it doesn't mean you're not going to screw up. It doesn't mean after you're baptized and you've committed to follow Jesus, you're never going to sin again. Paul doesn't say that. Guys, if you make a mistake, what do you need to do? Repent. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Not those who make a mistake and screw up and do one of these things. It's those who live like this. That's unrepentant. So every day, my my old mentor, Gary Lambrick, over at the Bay Area Church of Christ in Tampa, he used to tell me, Wes, when you become a Christian, you get on repentance road. It's repentance road because the rest of your life, you're repenting. You never stop repenting. And when you fall out of the will of God, you repent and you get back on the horse and you keep going. And then when you mess up again, you repent and you get back on the horse and you keep going. Guys, if you don't know the word, you're not even going to know what you need to repent of. If you don't have the people of God in your life and close relationships with brothers and sisters who are spiritual and also being led by the Spirit, you're not going to make it. And if you're not open to following the Lord, no matter what He says, and this is the scary part. I'll be honest, I'm scared to pray that prayer. God, lead me, I'll do whatever. Because that's my own heart saying, I kind of like being my own God still. But we got to be open to the leading of God no matter what. That's what a disciple does. we got to listen to Him. It is constant, consistent surrender. It starts when we give our life to Him, but it never stops until we're going to go to be with Him someday. We're going to be made perfect, and we're going to have nothing to worry about. And so, guys, as we close out, just you have this incredible force at, at your disposal. Don't exhaust the Spirit making Him fight you. Surrender. And allow him to use the power to transform you. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the time. I pray that you'll help us to learn, to trust. Father, to be yours. Father, because we can't be what we need to be on our own. But it is so comforting to know that we have a helper, an advocate, an empower that you have placed within us. Father, help us to utilize him and the tools that he gives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.